quite a soul-bearing confession, John. There's not a lot of scripture that's in the first person, and so, of course, that's the Apostle Paul speaking. Well, friends, it turns out that Genesis 24 is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. I didn't know that. I don't know if any of you knew that. Not only that, but it is the eighth longest chapter in the Bible, Genesis 24. Now, we've got stories in Scripture about Israel crossing the Red Sea, being liberated from Egypt. We've got Moses in the burning bush, Noah's Ark. But this chapter is longer than those stories. And friends, in the ancient world, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have this forum on which you could place or spew any idea known to man, limitless resource for expression, paper, parchment, papyrus, rolls, those things were scarce in antiquity. And so when you see a chapter that is 67 verses, that means that the author self-consciously devoted a lot of care and attention and material to this story. Why? What is so special about Genesis chapter 24? If you haven't turned there, friends, I invite you to turn there with me. We are not going to read the entire chapter because, like I said, it's 67 verses. And so the lectionary has given us three excerpts to walk us through this story. Now, you've probably read this story before if you've read through Genesis, done a, you know, read through the Bible plan. And this is a story in which Abraham commands his servant to find a spouse for his son Isaac. Now, God had made promises to Abraham that he would have descendants that would number the sand on the seashore, and that through these descendants, the world would be blessed. But for Abraham to have descendants, Isaac needs a wife. And what's curious, friends, is Abraham doesn't set out to fulfill this mission on his own. The world's blessedness depends on the spouse of Isaac, whoever that would be. And so in this story, Abraham meets with this unnamed servant, swears an oath with this person, and commands him to go and find a spouse for his son Isaac, but not just an ordinary spouse, friends, the matriarch, the new matriarch of Abraham's estate. And not only this, but the woman through whom God would bless the world. Abraham entrusts this task to an unnamed servant, and we get 67 verses devoted to the story of this man. So Genesis 24, let's read the selections together. Uh, Hopefully the references in the bulletin help you follow along, but we will jump from one section to another and then another. So Genesis 24, we'll start at verse 34, and I'll be reading from the ESV. And as you are able, friends, would you stand for the reading of God's word? 
To preface this, these events have already happened, and the servant is sitting at a table in Rebecca's house telling the family about what had happened. Okay. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. Verse 42, I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also, let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. And she quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. And then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Verse 58. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man? walking in the field to meet us. The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. You may be seated. So as I read this passage and reflected upon it for this morning, I came to see three headings 
There are three labels for these sections. In the first section, the servant describes the mission on which he was sent by Abraham, but really by Yahweh. That section you can call mission given. Mission given. In the second section, the servant doesn't just describe the facts of the encounter, but tells the story in order to illustrate God's guidance of it. Mission guided. And then in the third section, the servant fades from the page, and the narrator takes the baton and describes the fulfillment of the mission. Mission accomplished. What we see here, friends, is that Yahweh doesn't just want to use prominent, famous figures like Abraham to accomplish his mission. He wants to use unnamed servants, like you and me, to carry out his kingdom project. This is no small task, friends. The world's blessedness depends on finding a suitable spouse for Isaac. This is a big task that is entrusted to an unnamed servant. Secondly, if we think about Abraham and relate to him, there comes a point in our faith journey where for our faith to develop, we need to trust God enough to entrust things, big things, to others. We'll get to a point in our faith where we could carry out a task, an objective by ourselves, but where God is calling us to entrust it to somebody else so that their faith, their trust can grow. Those are the two ideas, the twin ideas I see emphasized in this text. And so I would say that this is a story about discipleship. Discipleship. If Mike Whitney was here, he'd be screaming, cheering right now. I know discipleship is something we talk about a lot here at First Baptist Freeport. But friends, I see discipleship on full display in this chapter. So what I'd like to do really is walk through each section according to those labels or headings, stepping into the sandals of this servant as he grows in his faith and trust in Yahweh. So that is the plan for this morning, but before we go any further, let's take a moment to pray. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for doing things the way you do things. Lord, we have certain preferences, certain agenda, recommendations for how you ought to bless the world. Thanks be to God, you are in control and not us. But you share the work of mission with us. And even as we doubt, even as we limp, you give us grace and show patience to help us become stronger and more reliant on you. As we read this long chapter in the Hebrew Bible, as Christians today, I pray that you'd help us to see Jesus here. You'd help us to see Jesus, who didn't do all the work himself,
but gave us a counselor, his very spirit, so that we, as the body of Christ, could carry on with the work that he started. Thank you, Lord, and I pray that you would soften our hearts this morning, be present to us and for us. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So let us dive in then at verse 34. Now, like I said, um, this is an interesting literary frame. We have a character who is the servant sitting at the table, already having met Rebecca and her family, but looking back on what has happened and, and relaying the whole story to Rebecca's family. So in this first section, verses 34 through 38, we have a description, a general description of his mission. And so this is what I have called mission given. First, in verse 34, he identifies himself as the servant of Abraham. His name has been changed from Avram to Avraham, father of many peoples, father of many nations. But right now, he, he only has the son Ishmael and Isaac. And so some of those promises have yet to be fulfilled. Abraham, however, would have been known to this family since, as we'll see, they are related. But the servant has journeyed far south toward the land of Ur, Mesopotamia, the land from which Abram was called initially in Genesis 12. What we then see is a pitch, a proposal, but not in the modern romantic sense of a man going down on one knee, saying, I love you, and asking, will you marry me? Here we have a servant who is sent to pitch this marriage to Rebecca, but really to her family. And so the motives aren't disingenuous, but they are persuasive. And so keep that in mind as we read the next few verses. Verse 35, it says that the Lord, Adonai, and remember that this family of Rebecca, they were Mesopotamian, they worshipped many gods, they weren't familiar with Adonai yet, yet. It says, the Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become exceedingly great. It says, he's given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. He's not talking about the suitor, Isaac. He's talking about his father, Abraham. He's pitching this marriage proposal between Rebekah and Isaac, but he talks about Isaac's father. Verse 36, it says that Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son. Here we get Isaac. A son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. Isaac is the heir. Now just before this, at the end of chapter 23, we read that Sarah had died. So she had passed away. Now Abraham is the Paterfamilias, that is the word. He's the head of the whole estate. He's in charge of the children. He's in charge of the domestic labor. All of the assets belong to him. But since Sarah had just died of old age, Abraham was getting pretty close. Isaac then was about to be named the head of this extensive estate. And the servant is looking not just for any old spouse for his son, but for the new matriarch, the new Sarah. He's pitching this marriage to the family, trying to show the family that it's in your best interest 
to consider this. Abraham is a pretty prominent figure. That's what's going on here. In verse 37, he continues to describe the mission. And you can read more about this earlier in the chapter. He says, My master Abraham made me swear, swear an oath, which this is very early in the Hebrew Bible, but you see literature, legislation about oaths later on. This is significant. Made me swear an oath saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But rather, verse 38, you shall go to my father's house and to my clan, getting smaller and smaller here, and take a wife for my son from there. The idea was the servant was sent on a mission to find a suitable spouse for Isaac, a woman through whom God would bless the world. And the servant has sworn to Abraham that he wouldn't take a wife from the Canaanite tribes that bore no relation to Abraham, but that he would find a spouse from among his relatives, his family. That is the first section, mission given, where the servant describes the task that had been entrusted to him by his master. If you jump then to verse 42, we'll get the second section in which the servant describes the mission as being guided, guided by Yahweh. Verse 42, he says that I came today, this very day, to the spring, the well. Remember what I said about type scenes, meeting somebody at a well. It happens all over the Old Testament. Jesus, of course, meets a woman at a well, I don't have time this morning, but I would encourage you to read John 4 right after reading this story and to compare and contrast. He came to the spring or the well, a common site at which women from neighboring villages would come and draw water for themselves, their families, their livestock, and he prayed. This is a servant who before in the chapter doubted whether or not he'd even find a woman to agree to come back with him. His faith is a bit flimsy and in need of help. And so he prays at the well and says, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, there's some distance here, not my personal God, my Lord and Savior, but the God of my master Abraham. I'm trusting you. If now you are prospering the way that I go, if you are blessing my journey, behold, I am right here. I'm positioned by the spring of water. And then he sets some terms, friends. Now this, like I said before, this is early in the biblical narrative. And so we're not necessarily supposed to see all these actions and just copy them today. The servant is doing something that is actually discouraged later in the Old Testament, setting the specific terms by which God would act. But God knows that the servant's faith needs help. And he shows grace and patience to this servant and lets him set the terms. So he says, let let it happen this way. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. Verse 44, and who will then say to me, drink and I'll draw for your camels also. Let, Let that woman be the one that the Lord has appointed for my master's son. 
setting the terms, the framework within which Yahweh was to act. Verse 45. It says, Before I had finished speaking, in my heart too, recall Genesis 18 and 21 where Sarah laughs within herself, how could I bear a child in my old age? She does that within her heart, and it says that God heard her. So this is not the servant audibly praying to women who likely could benefit from a marriage into Abraham's estate. This is silent, secret prayer. Before I had finished speaking, he says, Rebecca came out. Rebecca is seated at the table with the servant and the family as he's telling the story. She came out with her water jar on her shoulder. And she went down to the spring and drew water. And then we get the terms. The end of verse 45. I said to her, please let me drink. Verbatim repetition of what he'd prayed. Verse 46, she quickly let down her jar. Quickly, quickly. We get that language in Genesis 18. Abraham quickly got up from his nap and served the three visitors. There's, there's hospitality, quickly. Let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink. And I'll give your camel's drink also. In other words, she fulfills the exact terms that were set by the servant in his heart, not audibly. And so he just has one more question to ask. If she is a Canaanite, if she's not from the tribe of Abraham, the stuff about the water doesn't matter. Coincidence. Doesn't matter. Abraham said, swear to me that you will not take a wife from my son from the Canaanites, but it has to be from my clan. Whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son. Nahor is the brother of Abraham, which makes Bethuel Abraham's nephew, which means that Rebekah is the daughter of Abraham's nephew. And to my knowledge, friends, that means that Rebekah is Isaac's first cousin once removed, Okay? which, you know, there's some taboos around that today, maybe not in some parts of Vermont and Maine, I don't know, but this is exactly what needed to happen, friends. This is a good answer. All of the terms that were stated in his heart, all of the terms that were stated by Abraham hundreds of miles away have been perfectly met in Rebekah. And so he just happens to have a bunch of jewelry on hand, you know, Always a good thing when you go to a watering hole to bring some bracelets and rings. So he puts the ring on her nose, bracelets on her arms. That's a common betrothal rite in the ancient world. And then we get verse 48. Unnamed servant who still calls God the, the Lord, the God of my master, not my personal God. It says that he bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord the God of my master Abraham, who has led me, me, by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. 
The God of his master, Abraham, has now become his personal guide. Such that he can't help, but not in his heart, but publicly, audibly worship. Worship the God of Abraham. But not only the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and soon to be the God of Rebekah, too. Verse 49, we get the classic, what say you? After all the terms are set, how will they respond? Will they reject this story and send him home? Or will they accept? Well, let's move to the final section then. Mission accomplished. And it begins in verse 58. Where those who are gathered call Rebecca and say to her, Will you go with this man? And she says, I will. And so the narrator gives us some terse events in very quick fashion. They sent Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Rebecca's servant and his men. But then in verse 60, we get a blessing. Now, this in Hebrew is set in verse. This is poetry. And it's very archaic poetry. It almost resembles Job. This is some of the oldest literature in the Hebrew Bible. And it's a poetic blessing that reads as follows. The Mesopotamian family, just meeting Yahweh for the first time, they say, our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. In other words, friends, as a result of this servant's journey, trip, and story, his testimony, we get these, you could say, pagan Mesopotamians uttering words that are so similar to the words of God placed upon Abram's life earlier in Genesis. May you be the father of many nations. May your descendants number in the thousands and ten thousands. We get Rebecca's Mesopotamian relatives uttering these words. It's almost like the faith of Abraham is spreading. Then Rebecca and her young women arose and went with the man, and we get the explicit statement, thus the servant took Rebecca and went his way. The narrator needs to say that. It seems redundant. He says it so readers know Mission accomplished. Well, finally, we return to Isaac in verse 62. What has Isaac been doing this whole time? And it says that he went out to meditate. Now, it's hard here. This is the only time this Hebrew word appears in the Hebrew Scriptures, and there really aren't any parallel texts that use this word. So there's a lot of guesswork here. What is Isaac doing? But in the context, I imagine he's getting anxious, antsy wondering how the servant's mission is going. And it says that he went out to a field. Remember the type scene that I mentioned before. People see God in the field. He's in the field, and then we get a brilliant example of literary art. If you recall in Genesis 18, Abraham is napping in the middle of the day, And then it says that he lifted up his eyes, and behold, and he saw, there were three visitors. And he ran to meet them, and he bowed down to the earth before them. 
Just a few chapters later, Genesis 22, as they're approaching the mountain, Mount Moriah, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then toward the end of that story, as he's about to slay his son, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and behold, there was a ram. In this text, friends, it says that in the field, Isaac lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted. The language is bowing. She got down from the camel. And going on to verse 65, she asks, Who is that man coming to meet, meet us? We get the language of meeting here, just like in Genesis 18. And friends, if you look at the verbal similarities in these texts, and you notice the fact that in Genesis 18... That is where Isaac is miraculously conceived. Genesis 22, that is where God's promise to Abraham is reaffirmed. Here, something significant is happening, okay? God was present in Genesis 18. He's present in Genesis 22. We need to think that God is present here, too. So she took her veil and covered herself, learning that this would become her spouse. And Isaac then brings Rebekah into the tent of, here we get Sarah mentioned again. Sarah who had recently passed. Sarah whom Isaac was mourning. Rebekah effectively replaces Sarah as matriarch of this growing people, the woman through whom God would bless the whole world. I've come to understand why this chapter is so long. <laughs> this is a story about discipleship. It's a story about faith progressing to the point where Abraham needed to entrust something big to someone other. A servant whose name we don't even know. Abraham trusts God enough to entrust this mission to this servant. Believing that God would develop this servant's faith and even create an opportunity to share such faith with others along the way. In the course of this servant describing the meeting at the well, describing God's guidance of it, he can't help but bear witness to the work, the mercy, the activity of Yahweh. And we even see speech come out of the mouths of Rebekah's family that resembles the Word of God. As I read this text, friends, I think about us today. And I realize that we are on a journey as well. We're walking, we're moving, following in the footsteps of Jesus. And what this story tells me is that there is a point at which God uses the less significant, you could say, 
where he desires to share his kingdom work, not just with the prominent and famous, but with the unnamed servants. My charge for you and for me is to continue relying on Jesus, even through doubt, through anxiety, through lack of certainty, to take the next step, to trust, and to be willing to entrust things, big things, to others, knowing that just as God guided and strengthened the servant, so will he guide and strengthen us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Word that is dripping with Christ. As we continue to walk through Genesis and the books, the stories of the Old Testament, I pray that we would see you, Jesus. Help us to be strengthened in our reliance upon you, that your faithfulness would transfer to us, and that in those times when our faith fails and when we doubt, that you would comfort us and be there with us. Please continue to bless us as we worship you this morning. Fill us with energy as we go about our weekly routines this coming week. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.